0: Welcome to Joint Effort with Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. This podcast covers the pain and injuries that are associated with muscles, ligaments, and joints. Hi, I'm Baron Bremner, and today on Joint Effort, I'm pleased to have Dr. Tom Delaney with me. Thanks for coming in. No problem, Baron. Uh, Dr. Delaney has been with DMOS for a long time. I think, were you 17 years in Carroll, Iowa, is that right, before you came down to join us here at the... Mothership or the yes, bigger? Yes,
1: yes. I was permanent satellite in Carroll. Yeah, and you did a lot of great work up
0: in that neck of the woods. Um, it's my understanding you have a couple uh, sons down here in Des Moines, and maybe your brothers down here too. Yep, Oh okay. my
1: uh, basically my whole family's down here.
0: Great, so moved to be closer to them. I imagine you miss um, the small town atmosphere, a little bit of Carroll.
1: Well, we we love Carroll. It was a great place to raise our kids, and it was it's a great community. Yeah. Um,
0: You're kind of like me, you do a lot of different things. Um, You enjoy doing a lot of different types of surgeries, right? Yep. What are
1: kind of your specialties or things that you really enjoy taking care of in orthopedics? I do. You know, being in Carroll, population skews, but just slightly older. Um, Did a lot of total hips, total knees. Mm -hmm. um, Did a fair amount of sports medicine Mm -hmm. um, and to a lot of trauma, Mm -hmm. a lot of community trauma. Sure. Just took care of
0: whatever they needed up there. can you tell me a little bit and tell our listeners a little bit about your background, you know, kind of where you grew up and uh, high school even back that far?
1: Uh, I grew up uh, basically here in Des Moines, Mm -hmm. Um, went to Valley, uh, graduated there a long time ago, and then went to uh, University of Iowa for undergrad, did my med school there, and then did a residency out in uh, Akron, Ohio. Okay. Uh, And that out in Akron. That was at SUMA. It's a yep. smaller program in
0: a private practice area. I think, yeah. did Dr. Vidotto do that too? Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed out there. It was a great program, really um, hard workers. A lot. Of, you guys saw a lot of cases there.
1: It is. It's a very busy yeah. place.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, one time I was playing tennis, and uh, I noticed that you were playing next to me on a court, but you didn't say anything. You are kind of standoffish. Yes. But then I found out later that was your brother, right? Yes. yes. So you have a twin brother, identical I a, twin? or I was it identical just, twin brother. Okay, all right. Did you guys have any kind of weird stuff going on when you were growing up, where you, you know, dress, <laughs> nothing th- switch straight. your clothes, or no, do anything no, crazy no, to, to trick no, your girlfriends or nothing, parents? Nothing too crazy. Okay.
1: No. He um, still he still lives here in Des Moines also, and uh, we're still quite close. I bet. I bet. Um, so your favorite surgeries
0: are basically, I mean, some sports surgeries and then total hip and knee replacements. Is that about? Yeah. You know? I
1: do I do a pretty big gamut, and Carol, I did quite a bit of upper extremity. Surgery, you know, carpal tunnels, wrist fractures. Yeah. Down here, it it tends to go to the hand surgeons. Yeah, but Um, still enjoy those. Yeah, I I like doing a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, today um, I want to talk about, um, although you're not a a specialist in in just doing fractures, of course, um, you've had a lot of exposure to them and a lot of exposure to. patients who are a little bit older in our practices who might have some softer bones things like that Mm -hmm. and so i wanted to talk about some common fractures that we see in our practices um, and some that we call fragility fractures or um, you know osteoporotic fractures so could you tell me what your kind of working
1: definition or definition of fragility fractures is i i think the general definition is you know a a fracture that happens from a standing height or or sitting height so you know and uh, an injury that you know most people with normal bones would withstand and right. uh, and not break right so yeah, not a car accident or
0: something like that but if you break an arm from like you said you know you trip in the garden and fall and
1: shatter your humerus then right. and why why would we call them fragility fractures uh you know generally because it, it, they're it's based more on the, the the poor quality of their bone yeah you know, the bone is weakening and it's easier to break um is there
0: are there certain things that uh, people should look out for like that they might be at risk for um, osteoporosis or soft bones where they might be at risk for these fractures, certain genetic factors or well, sex or age or yeah, things certainly like that?
1: certainly it's something that predominates in postmenopausal women. Um, but it, it can occur, you know, there's certain medical conditions that can make it happen at any age. I mean, there's, there's medications like steroids and things like that, that you can take and and get osteoporosis at a very young age. So like pills of prednisone and stuff like that. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yep. And certainly more common in women. It's certainly going to be more common in, in, in white women as Mm -hmm. opposed to African Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, Asians are actually fairly at high risk also. Mm uh, but generally, the older you get, the more likely you are to become osteoporotic. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, one thing I like to sometimes ask my patients about is if they've had, like, their mother or father with a hip fracture, you know, or a, or a fragility fracture. I think that can make them at higher risk, too, if they've got a first-degree family member sure. who's broken, something like that. Um, how about, I seem to harp on this all the time, but how about tobacco? Does that help or hinder? Uh, alcohol, tobacco, both bad things Yeah, for bone. Um, not only for... Making them soft, but also for getting them to heal, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, we aren't really osteoporosis doctors. We deal with the consequences of it, and and it's it is in our um, uh, wheelhouse to help counsel people on it. But what kind of doctors do typically treat osteoporosis if somebody wants to go get us figure out if they've got osteoporosis or they're worried about it before okay. a fracture? Most
1: of, most of the internal medicine doctors will okay will take care of those issues. Um, the most of the treatments are medically sophisticated enough that you probably want someone besides your your bone surgeon taking yeah. care of that for you. your bone carpenter yes yeah so that that's a good idea and that's one thing I
0: think that some people neg- neglect doing is talking to their um, internal medicine or primary care doctor about their bone health even after suffering a break like this because if you do break
1: up one bone you're higher at risk for breaking other bones later on yeah insufficiency fractures first two years there's a very high risk of having a second mm-hmm. one. So um, today, can
0: you tell me kind of some, some of the areas on the body that are maybe prone to... Because not every bone breaks from an insufficiency fracture. Can you tell me some of the areas that are problems? And then we'll yeah. go into those in more detail later.
1: Well, I think the, the classic locations are your distal radius, your hip, spine, and proximal humerus. Mm-hmm. I think those are the main ones, mm-hmm. although I think you know, we certainly see tibial plateau fractures okay. and, and ankle fractures and things like that that are fragility related. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the hip and spine are, and wrist are the three big ones. Um, so on a, a
0: proximal humerus fracture, which is really a shoulder fracture, it might be somebody, a woman or someone who falls from a standing height, jams her elbow in and it breaks the top of her. Arm bone near the shoulder, we call proximal because it's up at the top part of that humerus bone. Um, you know, in your practice, how many of those go on and need surgery? Are there other ways to
1: treat it? You know, I would say the way I've treated these has changed rather dramatically in the 20 years I've been practicing. I mean, th- this is something we used to treat with plates and screws and, and, and fairly aggressively. Um, I would say now I treat. 99% of proximal fractures uh, conservatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, conservatively, and meaning without I mean surgery. Meaning without surgery. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think the advantage is now we have the ability to replace shoulders so much better than we could 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. That For the patients that do heal in a way that they don't like their shoulder function, uh, they do very well with shoulder replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's much easier to perform that procedure if somebody hasn't been in there putting screws and plates and a bunch of hardware in there for them to take out it's um you know the the soft bone
0: is hard to get screws to hold into and things like that so it can be a challenging surgery and uh like you said i think a lot of literature has come out lately um or at least alluded to that where we find that we can try a lot of different things surgically and sometimes they're no better in a study than when we just left it alone yep um Boy, I have a hard time when people come in, though. They're like in that three days after they break it, and they're like, you got to do something about this. It's killing me, yeah. you know, and it's a really hard conversation to have that, yeah, it's going to hurt, but if I did surgery on it, it's not going to immediately solve your pain yeah. either. So yep. that's It, a is, it is a fairly
1: painful fracture, yeah, too. Yeah,
0: very painful. So typically you, you might put them
1: into a, a sling or an immobilizer for how many weeks, you think? Yeah, I generally I, I treat people with a sling for about a month Okay. Um, and have them just do some really simple pendulums on their own. Mm-hmm. I see them back in a month, and if they're starting to lay down some bone and healing, then we progress them into formal physical therapy. Um, usually do that for four to six weeks, Okay. and then I kind of evaluate them and see how they're feeling, and if they're, yeah. if they're functional. I mean, certainly most people with proximal humerus fractures don't completely return to normal shoulder function. Right um but if it's satisfactory and they can do all their activities daily living and they're not having much pain um then most of those patients we can continue to treat without surgery. Yeah, great. Um how about, you know,
0: we talked about the upper arm, you said the distal radius which is the the wrist down near the small bones in the wrist, so it's the end of the forearm basically. We see that pretty often. Um you know, what's the mechanism
1: for how somebody would break their the end of their wrist like that? Uh most most people are generally falling on an outstretched hand. And basically just hyperextend their wrist and and crack it backwards is kind yeah. of the classic Colley's fracture. Yeah it could be a pretty dramatic looking injury right? Yeah. And that and interestingly Colley's fractures I've had the exact opposite evolution in how I've treated them and that when I trained we fixed hardly any of these right. fractures we reduced all of them treated them with casts um, and now the techniques have gotten so much better we fix the vast majority of them, and they do much better with surgery. Right, right. Yeah, because uh, the
0: options back, you know, even now, are putting it back in place, like, you know, yes. having a person asleep or injecting them, thunking it back into place, and then you have to do a cast for about six weeks. And sometimes that works, but then you have to follow it every week, basically, to make sure it doesn't shift, and a yes. certain percentage of those wrist breaks shift, and then you're trying to deal with a halfway healed fracture so yep.
1: um, and they're stiff and and, yeah. and they struggle a lot more whereas if you can fix these things and get them moving their wrist earlier they just do a lot better
0: but tell us about the locked technology that made that possible because we didn't always have yeah. implants for that yeah
1: the pro- yeah the problem with wrist fractures was always the, the hardware that it, it breaks close enough to your wrist joint that you really don't have the ability to put a lot of hardware in the distal aspect of the fracture and now they've come up with a design where the screws can actually lock into the plate um, it makes it a much more stable construct mm-hmm. and and it it works a lot better it 's a lot easier to get it an anatomic because uh you don't have much room for
0: air in the wrist if you want to have your full range of motion yeah. Um, yeah. and then so if you see somebody you know in i don 't know how you deal with this i if somebody comes in with one of those two fractures and uh, they're not on a a calcium or a vitamin D or something mm-hmm. like that what do you say to them when you're you know a month into it or a couple weeks into it or something i
1: I think it is important and it's something that even i you know don't always dwell on with patients but i I think it is important at least inform them that their fractures probably occurred because of of poor bone Mm -hmm. you know and and so they probably should follow up with somebody about their bone health if they haven't already some of the patients are already well aware that they're osteoporotic right
0: yeah i 100 percent agree that it's important to bring that up and if they smoke, it's important to bring up that uh, they need to quit smoking for multiple reasons. But we're kind of selfish. We want them to quit smoking for the bone health. Yeah. Um, hip fractures are a pretty, uh, it's a pretty generic term, we call it a hip fracture, you know, and you might hear your grandma's friend got a hip fracture, but there's a ton of different kinds of hip fractures and they don't all involve the hip joint. Uh, some right. of them are the thigh bone and some of them are the pelvis. Can you tell us about some of those different fractures, where they
1: are? and the. Uh the, the hip joint is basically a, a ball and socket joint, and the, I would say the majority of the fractures tend to occur inside the joint, either involving the ball snapping off or, or cracking. Um, if the ball snaps off, then generally it's treated with, with a joint replacement, um, and a lot of that depends on the age and activity level of the patient. If they're an older patient without much arthritis, then generally we treat them with a partial hip replacement. Um, because it's safer, quicker procedure. What's that mean? The partial. Uh, it means replacing, basically, just replacing the ball part of the hip. Okay. So if they
0: broke off their ball and it's fifty millimeters big, you put in a ball that's fifty millimeters it, big, exactly. And, but you leave their socket alone.
1: Right. Whereas if they're a younger, more active patient, um, generally we, p- we treat them with hip replacement um, because that that metal ball that we replace with time does wear away the socket, mm-hmm. um, and so in a very active patient that's you know seventy years old and suffers a femoral neck fracture, um, you can do a partial replacement on them and they will do well. Um, but if you see that patient at, at 10 years, you know, a lot of them are going to need to be converted to a hip replacement that could have just been done to start they with. They might get some
0: groin pain and stuff yeah, like that. exactly. Yeah. So you know, the ball snaps off is what you're talking about.
1: Um, why can't you just you know,
0: put some plates, a plate and screws or something yeah. on it, or
1: you, you, if it's non-displaced or impacted, you you can fix it with screws. Um, the trouble with displacement is it alters the, the blood supply to the to the ball. Um, and so even though you could go in and screw it back together, um, that bone essentially has no blood supply. Yeah. And so with time it dies yeah. and, and doesn't do as well. I think um, all of
0: us, not all of us, but Uh, Most of us who feel really comfortable with uh, joint replacements are moving away from putting screws into the head for these type of fractures. And I found that even if you get it to heal, which is only like 80% of the time, they're in a shortened position. Their biomechanics are off. They're unhappy with it even then. So it's a lot quicker healing process for a partial or a full hip replacement.
1: Yeah, a lot of it, I think, depends on the... the the patient too. There are some still some patients that I'll pin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for a patient that really wants to get back to hardcore walking, hard, you know, that really wants to be a, a, a good community ambulator, um, joint replacement works well. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: if you break it down a little bit lower, we call it the inner trochanteric region. It's where a lot of muscles are attached. There's a couple bumps on the femur. So we're not down in the shaft, but we're not up in the ball. What, that's a pretty common break in the people's in their 70s and 80s and 90s even. What do you do for that sort of an
1: in injury? Uh, you know, Traditionally, um, when I trained, we, we tended to treat them with uh, plates and screws. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a, a, a large screw that would go up into the femoral head and a little plate that we'd put on the side that would hold it in place. Um, now we do, we, they've come up with some devices uh, that you can actually use intramedullary, um, which is nice. You basically make a very, put a very small rod inside their femur. Um, it takes much smaller incisions, less dissection mm-hmm. uh, to put in, um, so the surgery is smaller. Um, although I tell patients with intertroch uh, fractures that the long-term results are not quite as good as they are with arthroplasty, mm-hmm. so even mm-hmm. though the surgery is smaller, they tend to. It tends to. I tell people bring them down a notch in terms yeah. of walking. They, right. they, they if they're not if they're a good walker, they tend to need a cane. Right. If they're a cane, they need tend to need a walker. Yeah, that's exactly what I think of too. Um,
0: so there's uh, also some breaks around the pelvis. You know, one of the breaks that we see pretty commonly, if you could just comment on it real quick, would be a, a pelvic fracture. Like around, if you look on a skeleton, a Halloween skeleton or whatever, those two little circles down at the bottom where it looks like there's, it's hollow, those are the pubic rami. You know, one of them we sit on, one of them is the front of our pelvis, and you can have a crack in that bone.
1: Can you tell us about how that's treated? Yeah, most of those are treated non-operatively. Um, and, you know, mainly because we, it's not an area where our body bears weight. Mm -hmm. Um, although they're extremely painful (laughs) and uh you know for a few months while the fracture's healing and those muscles you know every time you step those muscles fire and cause pain um so it it, it's something we treat non-operatively although it still takes a few months to heal enough for them to to feel good so you you treat them supportively and then have them use uh,
0: a walker or something most people
1: yeah most people need a walker for you know six to eight weeks do you let them put whatever weight feels comfortable yeah I, them? I, I try to tell people to do partial um, although really with those types of fractures they can put as much weight on it as they're comfortable and they okay. still heal okay um,
0: you know some other sundry things that might be interesting you know spine compression fractures what have you heard I mean we don't deal with those much we have a uh, great spine uh, surgeon partners so we can ask for that but what have you heard about sticking you know, inflating this the compression fracture or mm-hmm. putting cement in it and things like that—is yeah. that something that people do still?
1: I, I've certainly seen patients that have had it done and um, seen some good results with doing that. Although I think the indications for it are are narrow, you know. Oh. So I, I, I definitely—it's one of those things—I direct patients to the to people that do them and decide course, with them yeah. whether to do them or not. So I mean, they can like fall on their butt or
0: something and have this compressed down, or even just standing there, they can have a compression fracture. Have severe pain right in the middle of their back and then we look on an x-ray and it looks like there's been a loss of height and that's you know can see some people where they're doubled over from this having multiple levels of compression and um, so that is something that we see and sometimes our spine colleagues will recommend a brace or something or uh, less and less I think those um, vertebroplasty and kyphoplasties it seems like to me yeah
1: I think there was a large number of them done when they first came out yeah I, th- I think the numbers are decreasing although I, I think still for the right indications it can work very well good
0: um, kind of along the same lines, but separate. Uh, can you tell us if you're on a, like an anti-inflammatory? Can that have any results with bone healing? You know what I mean, like a fracture healing In
1: the, in the uh, I th- generally, I think anti-inflammatories can affect bone healing. It seems to be more um, crucial in the spine. Right. It, it seems like uh, the spine is an area where anti-inflammatories can inhibit healing. I, you know, generally long bones. Um, they tend to heal pretty well. So if you uh, have somebody who uh, has a
0: long bone, like an arm bone fracture, one of these
1: proximal humerus fractures,
0: you're okay with them. I mean, obviously, they can take Tylenol, but they can yeah. take some ibuprofen and things like that too.
1: Yeah, I yeah. do. I, I have. It's such a vascular bone, and and it's the reason that it hurts so much. Yeah. Um, but it also that same vascularity helps it heal. Good. Um, one thing I've, you know, there's been some papers recently
0: out of. Uh, Europe mainly, Canada some, where they've used less and less narcotic or opiate pain medicines for fractures. And that's one thing I've been talking to my patients a lot about is, you know, we need less of that because they can constipate you. Um, You know, the U.S. had 5% of the world's population and used to consume 95% of the world's hydrocodone. And so that's something where I I have hard times because everyone thinks when you break a bone you have to have narcotics and things like that. But I think the Tylenol and Ibuprofen and ice and Meditation and stuff can be helpful.
1: Yeah, it, I, it it's uh, you know anybody that's suffered fractures. I mean, it's it hurts. Um, the The first few days are by far the worst. Yeah. Um, it's certainly, pain pills play a role in in trying to get people you know into a home situation rather than the hospital. Um, but it's something you know. That, they are inherently dangerous it's something you don't want to take chronically if you can avoid it yeah um and they're and they're certainly for the elderly population there's a lot of side effects to sure. taking them yeah even the ones that are milder like
0: uh, tramadol is one that i use sometimes because it's a little less addictive and things sure. like that but that can really throw an elderly person off sometimes and give them hallucinations and things like that i found so yeah it
1: seems like some patients are really sensitive to narcotics mm-hmm. um, and most of those patients would really rather have nothing yeah right um, so I know we, we do
0: um, tell our patients that weight bearing exercise helps with uh, osteoporosis, right? And you want to check in with your your family doctor about your bone health if you're, especially if you're after menopause, you're female. It can happen. I mean, men can get osteoporosis too, of course, but uh, it's more common in women. Um, well, maybe one of the last things I want to ask you about is when do you use a, if ever, do you ever use a bone stimulator? It's a device to maybe make bone heal faster. Uh,
1: yeah, generally, you know, bone stimulators have a role more in fracture care than like preventative measures for people mm-hmm. with osteoporosis. Um, what they've learned is that bone heals better under an uh, electrical field. Uh, so there's a number of devices that we use for, for fractures that are just stubborn and don't want to heal. Um, I've had pretty good luck. I don't use a lot of them, um, but if somebody has a fracture that's not healing over three, four months, I mean, generally I'll use them. Uh, a lot of times they work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's the device for me just forcing me to wait longer, but they yeah. do, the, the, but, if, but they can be very successful.
0: Yeah, well, I think, like you said, there are some stubborn bones that, um, you know, despite immobilization, you know, certain areas like the uh, scaphoid bone, yep. tibia bones. There's some that
1: that won't yep. heal, and that can be. Yeah, a luckily, luckily, adjustment. most of the fragility fractures um, occur in areas that are that are highly vascular, yeah. and, and so uh, they they do heal. Um, but you know, areas in the hip and things like that, where they just they become so displaced and the blood flow is so disrupted, you know, you do end up having to do joint replacements. But for the vast majority of you know wrist fractures and proximal humerus, they they do heal without surgery. Yeah.
0: Well, I can say uh, I really learned a lot today, and I think that our uh, audience learned a lot. Um, And we're really happy that you're down here with us in Des Moines, and uh, we've really liked it. Appreciate you coming on the show. Yep, thanks a lot, Baron. Thanks for listening to Joint Effort, a podcast from Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. If you have questions about this podcast and wish to schedule an appointment with a surgeon, call 515-224-1414 or visit dmos.com.